Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. I hope you understand after watching the video that these are supposed to symbolize donuts on the wall. Uh, It's not beach time, although it is for some people. You can probably tell by uh, looking around us, we're missing a a few people. Uh, Brandy came up with that concept when I told her I wanted to do the uh, Hot Topic series. I think she thought of the hot in now, and she sent me the video, and I said, yeah, it looks great. Only thing about it, you're going to tick off every cop that comes to our church when you put the donuts up on the uh, on the wall uh, for for them. So uh, uh, anyway, the reason we're doing this series, guys, is is this: we're living in a time when our culture is dramatically changing uh, in in vast ways. Um, to be honest with you, it uh, it frustrates me uh, a great deal, and that might just be me showing my age. So that's why I want to do this series called Hot Topics. Uh, the topics we're going to deal with, I'm not going to be bringing them up, trying to stir up trouble, uh, but rather hopefully to give us a more biblical view of what the Bible has to say about a lot of the, 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 the buzz type words and things flying around in our culture that you see on the news uh, all the time for us to see what uh, God has to say about those issues instead of just what culture has to say uh, about those uh, issues that we see before so much uh, today. You, you might just say it like this, as Christians, we're to have a biblical worldview instead of just having a cultural worldview. We're, we're called to something different as believers. We're not to allow our culture to give us the worldview, the way we live our lives, the way we view the world and life in the world. Instead, we're to allow God in his word to give us a biblical worldview of how we ought to view things. In my own life, as I mentioned a moment ago, I've become uh, increasingly kind of frustrated with the dramatically shifting cultural norms uh, because things are changing really fast. Uh, guys, I, I admit, you know, I'm getting old. I understand that. I'm 63 years old. Uh, but there are things changing so fast that there are certain things taking place in our culture. Had you asked me, uh, you know, as a young adult, uh, would these things be true in our culture? I would have probably said no. I, I don't think so. But we're confronted with a lot of change. Uh, there are a lot of uh, new norms uh, that are being presented in our culture that we're being confronted with as what we're to think about uh, those things. Uh, our faith, it seems like to me, in Christianity, it seems like it's constantly under attack. I'll just be honest with you guys. I have a hard time watching the news anymore without just getting angry and me wanting to argue with somebody on TV. And my wife has to tell me, turn that off because she gets tired of hearing it. Uh, but, but that's just kind of where I am. And some of you may be there also. Uh, it seems like to me, and here's the way I've kind of felt lately. I'm just being transparent and honest with you. I feel like the world has a cultural funnel shoved down my throat, and I am being force-fed all types of stuff. I'm being force-fed things. 
uh, uh, that, you know, about racism or, or abortion rights or sexual immorality or, or same-sex marriage or uh, gender neutrality or religion and politics being married together or globalism, a lot of the things we're going to deal with in this series. I just feel like I'm kind of being force-fed those things, and, and I'm kind of up to here with it. I'm going to tell you up front, I'm up to here with it. But we have to be sure that we deal with these things with the right attitude. I'm not worried about what I believe. I know what I believe, and I think why I believe it, for the most part, I think I'm pretty comfortable with that. But some of you may not be as comfortable. And I'm more concerned about our our children and our youth because they may not have a foundation at all to know what to believe. And some of you may not because you may be fairly new believers and you may not understand what the Bible has to say about about many of these things. And it's easy for us to just allow culture to present things to us and we start buying into it because we see it on TV or we see it online and we start buying into it without even understanding that we're buying into something that the Bible is diametrically opposed to. Or that God's will and his purpose is is completely opposed to. So because of that, I'm going to have to watch myself in this series. And you may need to really in your emotions. So that's why the series changed a little bit after I started laying it out. Where I feel like we need to take this week and next week and kind of lay some groundwork as to how we ought to respond. How we ought to view culture before we start actually dealing with these cultural new norms that's being kind of crammed down our, our throats. After I announced the series, one of our uh, deacons, Mark Scott, uh, he leads one of our small groups, and he asked me if I'd read the book by David Platt, Counterculture. And uh, that time I had not, and he said, well, I'll get you a copy of it, and he brought it by, and I'm glad he did, because by him bringing it by and me reading the first couple of chapters, it kind of helped temper me a little bit for what we're about to deal with in this series. You see, as Christians, we, we can't hide from culture. Whether we like it or not, and I'll say more about this right near the end of the message, but whether we like it or not, we're living in the world, right? We're living in culture. So we're, we're not to act like we're just going to ignore it all. We, we can't just put on blinders, so to speak, or have tunnel vision and, and ignore everything except has to do with our church or Christianity. We can't just ignore the culture like that. Because the Bible, and you'll see today and especially next week, as believers, we're called to engage culture. We're called to even challenge culture and have the, have the goal of hopefully changing the culture. But we have to do it with the right attitude. And we have to do it with the, with, with the right goals. We have to display the right attitudes and approaches that Christ would have us to display or, or practice. And there'll be a little bit more on that next week. But today, I want us just to kind of start this series by asking ourselves, why do this anyway? You know, why, why deal with hot topics in our culture? And I want to give you like two main reasons why this morning. So join me in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And uh, I'm going to read the verses as we go through it. Just two primary 
verses this morning. I'll bring some other scriptures in to bear as we go through the message, but we're going to spend uh, most of the time just dissecting these two verses. Instead of going to verse 1 and then verse 2, I'm going to start out with the first part of verse 2 to begin with. Because I, I feel like we need to understand this, guys, as Christ followers, the Bible says we're not to be conformed by culture. We're not to be conformed by the world that we live in. That's not supposed to be the driving force, the, the, the influence in our lives as Christians. That should not be our, our driving force. Paul writes these words. He says, do not be conformed to this world. The negative that he uses there in the Greek when he says do not be it is not the absolute negative. There is a negative that had the Holy Spirit led Paul to use it would have said absolutely not. But he doesn't use that. He, he uses a, a negative in the Greek that means a qualified negative or qualified negation. And I think here's why. You see, the Bible does not tell us we're to totally withdraw from culture. But the Bible doesn't tell us we're supposed to pull aside and be, and be spiritual hermits of some type. We live in the world, as I said a moment ago, and we are supposed to live out our faith in this world. We're not to withdraw. We're not to just pull off into Christian community somewhere off by ourselves and, and kind of huddle in together and ignore the rest of the world. That's not what God has called us to. As I said a moment ago, he's called us to, to challenge and hopefully to change culture. And we can't do that by hiding out in our church buildings. And we can't do that by hiding out in, in Christian communities. We, we have to understand that while we're not to be conformed by the culture, we're not supposed to have the mindset that we're just going to hide from culture and, and reject everything having to do with culture whatsoever. You see, most Christians today, and I, I may say this at the end, since I'm thinking to say it now, it's not in my notes now, but I may say it again at the end. Most of us, as Christians in the world we live in, we drive automobiles. <laughs> we buy some of the same clothes that the rest of the world does. We use cell phones and everything like that. So we, we can be in the culture, living in the culture, but not let it conform us, change the way we think, change the way we live, change the way we, we view the world when it comes to what God's will is and, and God's standards are from, from the Bible in, in our lives. The word for conform, when he says do not be conformed, means this. Don't be fashion-alike. Don't be conformed to the same pattern. And here the pattern he's talking about is the, the, the world system. Is what he's referring to, or the, um, the 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 course of the world that we live in. The the root words that were used there for the word conform means union or together with by association by companionship. It, it talks about a process or resemblance or possession or figure or factions. You could kind of roll all that together and say something like this. Do not be so in union with the world system that you're fashion-like. You have the figure or look like the world system, the world age or course of the world that we live in. That's what he's telling us to avoid. The Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, 
in what he had already written in Romans chapter 1 through 11 deals with some pretty significant things that we need to be aware of. He, he deals with the, the lostness of mankind. He, he deals with the, the, with the tragic fall of man into sin and the results of that sin. And, and then Paul deals with how we can be justified through faith in Christ, how by our faith in Jesus we can be made just like we've never sinned because when we trust in Christ, the very righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And God doesn't see us in our sinfulness. He sees his son in his perfect holiness and righteousness. He writes in the chapters that come before this how, how we're not condemned in Romans chapter 8. Because of our faith in Jesus. And guys, when he says condemned, he says you're not condemned now. It's not just one day before God you'll not be condemned. God looks at you as a believer as though you're not condemned now. He, he talks in these last chapters before we get to chapter 12 about sanctification. In other words, how God, through our faith in Jesus, sets us aside to himself. And we belong to him. So Paul has written about all those things with clarity, and now with clarity, because of all those things, he's telling us that we need to live lives that are not conformed or driven or just influenced by the world instead of being driven and conformed and influenced by God's Word. Paul wrote this to these believers in Rome, and it still has application for us today. Those who've been forgiven of our sin through faith in Christ, we're not to be conformed to the world. Or you might say we're not to be conformed to culture. You're talking about the same thing, the worldly culture that we live in today. We're not to allow it to conform our lives. In light of all those word studies I gave a minute ago on the, on the word conformed and the root words, think about it like this. As Christians, we're not to adopt or adapt to the world culture. As Christians, we're not to be so in union with the world system, so influenced or impacted by the world culture of this day that we look like the rest of the world. We're not to be fashioned by worldly culture. We're not to follow the pattern of a worldly culture. We're not to be in such association or companionship with the culture of this world that we resemble the worldly culture. And guys, I'm not talking about a dress code. I'm talking about the way we think and the way we live our lives. See, Christians were not saved to look like or think like or be like the rest of the world. We were saved to look like, to think like, to try and be like Jesus as much as we can be. That's what he saved us to. So the first thing today, I want you to see simply that. We as Christians, we're not to be conformed to the world system. But then as we're going to back up and look at verse 1 and then look at the second part of verse 2, we need to understand this as we get ready to go into this series dealing with things in our culture. As Christ followers, see, it's not just a negative. He didn't say just don't be conformed. He also tells us this. As Christ follows, we are to be transformed by Christ. I think too much of our 
church phraseology and maybe too much of our, our systems in churches or even our messages might sound like sometimes, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, we're against this, we're against that. And I'll tell you the reason why I believe that, because that's the way the lost world views us. We're just a bunch of mean-spirited people that are against everything. But it's more than just being against something. It's more than just refusing to conform to something. The positive side of it is this. We are to be transformed. We're to be transformed by Christ. We're to be transformed in the way we live and the way we think. Begin with, let's talk about the way we live. The Christian's proper life response to the gospel. What, what should my life response be to the gospel? Guys, your life response to the gospel involves more than, well, I, I was at church and had an invitation and I felt really bad about who I was and what I'd done and I felt like I needed to come forward and I came forward and they told me I needed to trust in Jesus and I was baptized and, and, and now I'm on my way to heaven and that's all the life response you have. See, that's part of it. <laughs> but our life response to the gospel ought to involve more than the day we were saved. Or more than the day we were baptized. Our life response to the gospel ought to actually affect the way we live our lives. The Christian's proper life response to the gospel is, is dealt with there in verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Some translations say your 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 reasonable, you know, response more or less because of what Christ has done for us. To help us understand with some clarity what Paul is saying there, some of the words that he used, that the word appeal means I, I'm calling you near, I'm inviting you, I'm imploring you to do something. I come over here and listen to this. I want you to understand this as a believer. It's kind of what Paul is saying. I implore you, therefore, accordingly. And the word therefore points back to everything that he had already said in Romans. That I kind of walked through a few minutes ago. I call you near. I'm imploring you, therefore, based upon the mercies of God, the pity of God. And aren't you glad that God has mercy? Amen? Aren't you glad that God has some pity for us? Because if not, we would have been gone a long time ago. Amen? Without any chance of having trusted Christ as our Savior, had he not been long-suffering and had some mercy and some, some pity for us. He said, I'm calling you near based on everything I've written so far in this book, based on the, the mercy, the pity of God that you see represented in everything that I've talked about in Romans, that you need to present your bodies. That, that phrase present means to stand beside, to be at hand. And it's written in a tense in the Greek that means this. You are presenting yourself to God. You're standing there offering yourself, your life to God. And it means, the tense means in a once and for all action. It's not that as believers we're to say, well, it's Sunday morning. God, so I'm going to offer my body to you and I'm going to get them to go to church. And the rest of the week, I'm going to live my life however I want to live my life. 
That's not what he's saying. He, he's saying that as believers, in light of all that he's done for us, in light of the mercies of God, we ought to do this. We ought to once and for all say, God, here I am. Here's my abilities. Here's my life. Here's my talents that you've given me. Here's everything that I am. And God, I'm presenting myself at your disposal. That's the idea that Paul has given us here. That we are to present our, our bodies. And it means your body is a sound whole. Not just part of it, but all that you are is a sound whole. You're presenting that to God as a living sacrifice. Not a sacrifice that's dead, but, but a living sacrifice that's holy. In other words, your, your body being presented to God is also a sacred act. It's you being set apart to serve God. Because doing so is acceptable. It, that word means it's fully agreeable to God. And he says it's your spiritual worship, or the King James puts a reasonable service. And that word means rational, logical worship of God. In other words, guys, think about it like this. In light of everything Jesus has done for us, we ought to do what Paul is telling us here. This is the fourth therefore in the book of Romans. The first therefore was the therefore of condemnation in Romans 3 and verse 20. The second, therefore, was the therefore of justification in Romans 5 and verse 1, where we can be made justified by, by trust in, in Christ. The third one is the therefore of assurance in Romans 8 1. There's therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And now we have the fourth, therefore, in the book of Romans, and it's the therefore of dedication. As I said earlier, it points back to the sad reality of our condemnation and sin. But it points back to the tremendous news of available justification to where we can be made like we've never sinned by trusting Christ as our Savior. It points back to the news that there's now no condemnation, that we've been set apart under Christ. In other words, Paul is appealing to believers based upon this. He's saying based upon all these mercies of God, based upon everything that God has done for you, we are to present our bodies and make ourselves available to God as living, acceptable sacrifices to God, which is an act of rational or reasonable service. You might could just simplify it and say this, in light of all that God has done for me, I ought to fully serve him. In light of everything He's done for me. The least I can do, in light of everything he's done for you, if you're a Christian, the least you can do is say, God, here I am. And I'm offering myself once and for all to serve you. Why should you do that? Because as Christians, we're supposed to serve God, not serve culture. Amen? That's who we're called to serve. Just as Jesus had to take upon himself a human body. Think about it like this. Jesus, God the Son, eternal God the Son, in that first advent, he took upon himself a human body so he could come into this world and live a perfect sinless life and make the once and forever sacrifice of sin upon the cross. He had to take a body in order to do that. He went to the cross, died for our sins, nailed to that cross, died for our sins, put in a tomb, was buried, but he took his life back up. In a similar way, we're to view ourselves like that. We are presenting our bodies by faith to him in order that we might live forever for him. 
Romans 6, verse 11 through 14, kindly deals in a similar thought. It says this, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count means to reckon yourself, to compute yourself. It's a banking term. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been Bought from, brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. See, the Old Testament teaches about dead sacrifices. But that's not what God is calling us to be. He's calling us to be living sacrifices. He's calling us to trust in Jesus who died on the cross and made the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and took his life back up. He's calling upon you and I to reckon ourselves dead with Christ, but also reckon ourselves alive with Christ. And that means now we're to be his living sacrifices in this world, carrying out his work in the world for him. A Christian's proper life response to the gospel. Because he also tells us not just to live like Christians, he tells us to think like Christians. The Christian's proper thought process concerning culture and the will of God is found in the second part of, of verse 2. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Instead of being conformed by the world, he says, but other things. We need to be transformed. It's the same Greek word that our English word metamorphosis comes from. It means to transform metamorphosis, to, to change from the inside out. The, the root words is built from in, in the Greek means amid or, or to accompany and, and then to fashion. Think about it in these terms. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God came to live in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. He came at the moment you trusted Christ. Some people say, well, I don't feel him. Is there not something separate that needs to happen later to where I'm, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit? The reason you don't feel him is that you're not given over to his control. That's what the fullness of the Holy Spirit is. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is that you're showing up at some church service and all of a sudden lightning bolt hits you and you think, oh, I've got it now. You've got it the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. But the more and more you give over to the control of the Holy Spirit, that's how you experience more and more of the fullness of the Holy Spirit because you're allowing him to control your life so you know he's there because you're making your decisions based upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit and God's word, not just some whim. So he said, be, be, be transformed. The change from the inside out because the presence of God is, is within us as believers. The presence of God is in us to faction us, to mold us. 
Guys, it's different than the way culture operates. Culture wants to operate like this. Culture wants to take external influences and from the outside in change you and conform you to the world. God in the gospel and the Holy Spirit in our lives is completely opposite. He's not conforming us from the outside. He lives inside of us. And as we allow him and we read the word of God and we allow the word of God to change our lives, he wants to transform us from the inside out. That's what metamorphosis is. A change takes place from the inside out. That's how God wants to change our lives as believers. The world wants to conform you from the outside in with those external pressures. God loves you so much when you trust Christ as your Savior. He takes up residence in your life and he wants to change your life from the inside out. That's the way we're transformed. He he wants to, to change us, to transform us. The same word that's used here is used talking about Jesus when Jesus was transfigured. When Jesus was transfigured there on the Mount of Transfiguration, all of a sudden those three disciples could see Jesus as he really is. They could see him in all of his glory. So the word referred to Jesus being seen as he really is. Maybe we ought to take that as an illustration for our lives. As believers, since God lives within us, we need to let God pop out of our lives so other people can see us as we're supposed to be. So other people can see us as we are because God lives in our lives. We need to do that and and allow him to transform our lives so you and I can have the ability to test and discern the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing literally means renovation. It means renovation. We're to allow God's presence in our lives to renovate us. Not to stay the same, but to renovate us. Think about it like this. If you were tired of the way your house looks and you paid someone to come in and renovate the house and remodel the house and they come in for several weeks and they give you a big bill and you go in to look at your house and it looked the same that it used to look, you wouldn't be too happy with it, would you? Because you paid to have the house renovated. Hey, Jesus paid for you with his blood. We've been bought and paid for. We're his possessions. And he lives in our lives. And and he wants to see renovation take place. He he wants to see change take place. We shouldn't be the same that we were the day we received Christ as our Savior. You know what hurts me a lot about church life? Is I'll see people trust Christ as their Savior. And all of a sudden they're on fire. And you get six months or a year down the road. and, And they're not on fire anymore. You ought to be growing instead of getting colder. We need to be allowing God to to renovate us, to renovate our our mind, renovate our intellect, our our thought process, our our feelings, our emotions, our will. That's what that that word means there for mind. In order that, and that means this, indicating the point reached. We need to let God renovate our minds, our intellect, our thought, our feelings, our, our will. In order that we reach the point that we can test or discern what the will of God is. 
that we can test for approval, that we can discern what God's will is, what God's determination is, what God's choice is, what God's purpose is, what God's desire is, what God's will is. Someone was telling me a while back, I can't remember why we were having the discussion now, and uh, someone he had knew had uh, come to our church uh, several years ago. This wasn't anything recent, several years ago. And I uh, came just a few times, and uh, this fellow knew him and asked him, said, well, I saw you come a few times. Why, why aren't you coming back? And he said he kind of hung his head, and he said, I'm not going to let anybody tell me how to live. I hope you don't take Sunday morning as me telling you how to live. I hope you take it as the Scriptures and God's will telling you how to live. See, if you're a believer, I've already said this, you don't belong to yourself. Amen? Is that not what the Bible teaches? It's not for you just to decide whatever you want to do with your life. It's not for you just to decide what your choices are going to be. And you can choose your choices based upon culture or popular opinion or whatever it might be. That's not who you're supposed to be as a believer. You're supposed to be allowing the presence of God to renovate your mind so that you can discern, so that you can understand and know what the will of God is, what the determination of God is, what God's choices are, what God's purpose is, what God's desire is. Because God's purpose and his will and his desire, Paul says here, is good and acceptable and perfect. God's purposes are good in any sense, beneficial, fully agreeable. The, 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 the word actually means this when he says we can be complete or perfect. The, the word means this. We can reach the point aimed at. Whether you understand it or not, God has a point aimed at for your life. The Bible says he wrote the description of who you are before you were ever born. The Bible says in Ephesians, before you ever came to faith in Christ, he had things planned out, mapped out for you to do for him. So guys, as, as believers, it's not for us to be driven by the world culture. Instead, we're supposed to be allowing God in his word to renovate our minds, his spirit within us to renovate us so we understand what the perfect good will of God is and we can be moving toward the point that God has assigned for our lives. The follower of Christ is Heather thought process is to have their worldview, their cultural view, if you will, controlled by the will of God rather than being controlled by culture. We're to think the way God wants us to think. We're to act the way God wants us to act. We're to be driven by the will and the purposes of God instead of being driven by the culture of our world. But listen to me, that doesn't just happen. We have to take action. We have to take responsibility for our lives. As a believer, this isn't something that you just dress up with to come to church and put under your arm and show up at church. This is something for you to engage your life with on a daily basis to read the Bible and pray to the Lord and ask for his guidance and ask for his help. 
to learn how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life. So he's guiding your life and he's, he, he's helping you see, no, don't be conformed to that. That's the world. Yes, be transformed by this. This is me. That's what he calls us to as, as believers. We have to spend time being engaged with God, spending time with God. And if we fail to do so, we're losing the battle. And here's why. If all you get in your relationship to God is coming to church or even going to a small group, if that's all you're doing and you're not engaged yourself on a daily basis with your relationship to God, you're fighting a losing battle. Because every time you turn on the TV and every time you go out in the world and every time you go online, you're being constantly bombarded to be conformed by culture. And we can never offset all that attack and assault of culture by just showing up at church on Sunday or just going to a small group. That's why you need to be personally engaged in the Word of God because if not, we're being more influenced by TV, by the media, by Hollywood, by the opinions of others, and we're being influenced by God. What we must do as believers is renovate our minds so we can know the good, beneficial fully agreeable and complete will of God. Think about it like this. If the world controls your thinking, you're a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you're a transformer. Guys, I like the title transformer. Much better than the word conformer, don't you? I was reading this past week online and I I saw an article by John Piper. And uh, he was using an analogy about a, a dolphin and a jellyfish concerning the tides of worldly culture. In the oceans, in the literal oceans, the physical oceans, there's strong tides, strong waves that exist out in the ocean. But a dolphin, because of the way a dolphin is designed, it can go against the wave. It can go against the current. It can go against the tide. But a jellyfish, on the other hand, all it can do is go with the flow. All it can do is be pushed and pulled, pushed and pulled, whatever direction the tide wants to take it. That's what a jellyfish has to do. It doesn't have the ability to go against the tide, to go against the, the, the waves that, that, that it's facing. A dolphin even has a built-in homing device. A dolphin has sonar to where it can kind of, you know, tune in on something and understand what something is and, and go in that direction. So guys, ask yourself this morning, because we're about done, we're almost at invitation time. Ask yourself this morning this question. Do I, do I want to be a dolphin or I want to be a jellyfish? Jellyfish are kind of ugly, aren't they? Huh? Kind of scary to some people. They see one in the water and they start getting out of the water. One of our church members posted about that this morning. (laughs) They were down at the beach on vacation and saw a bunch of jellyfish coming in. They started running toward the shore. Which would you rather be? Would you rather live your life in such a way that you're just pushed back and forth by the culture of this world? by the ways of this world, by the tides of this world? Or would you rather be like a dolphin where you can put your head in the direction that you know you're supposed to go, that you want to go, and you can tune in and you can hone in? 
Guys, as Christians, we've got a built-in homing device. It ought to be set toward heaven. Amen? It ought to be set toward the will of God, to where we go toward the will of God, that we're willing to go against the flow of culture, that we're willing and able to go against the, the tide instead of just being pushed and pulled around by the culture of the day that we live in. Now, I want to remind you, you don't have a choice but to live in the culture. You don't have a choice but to swim in the ocean, just like the dolphin and the jellyfish. That's their environment. That's where they have to live. So you and I do not have a choice whether we live in the culture of the world or not. But we do have a choice whether or not we allow the culture to conform us or whether we allow God and his Holy Spirit and his word to transform our lives. We do have a choice when it comes to that. Where we can tune in to God's direction and go the direction God wants us to go. We live in the culture, but we're not to be controlled by the culture. However, we ought to be using the elements of culture around us to engage people with the gospel of Christ. The same Apostle Paul that was inspired by God to write what we've looked at in Romans today also said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. I've become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. What's he saying there? He said, I try to live my life in such a way that I'm adapting to how I need to share the gospel with the people around me. He's not saying I'm going to make all the same choices the world makes. He's not saying that I'm going to do everything that the world's doing just in order that I can be friends with him. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, I am going to use this culture. I'm going to know about it. And I'm going to use the culture around me to engage those people in this town, in that town, in this village, to where he understands how to reach them with the gospel. And guys, we need to be willing and able to use culture in the same way. Too many believers in too many churches present the idea of, well, man, the world's so bad, we might as well just go over here and stand in the corner until Jesus comes. That's not what he's called us to. He's called us to engage people in culture, to challenge people with the truth in culture. That's what this series is hopefully going to be about, to help you be equipped to where you can talk in a biblical way about some of the hot topics going on in our world. We can't help but live in the culture, but we can decide not to be conformed by the culture instead be transformed by Christ. So we, we can decide to chase after God's truth and go against the ways of the culture. And you can decide whether you want to be a, a dolphin or a jellyfish. Let me close by reading some pretty serious scriptures. Three, three different passages real quick. I'm going to read and then we're finished. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What does he mean by that? Peter's telling those believers in Asia Minor that this world is not their home. They're just passing through. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That's what world culture wants to do. It's trying to wage war against your soul. That's why we're to understand we're sojourners, we're, we're pilgrims, we're exiles, we're, we're passing through. This isn't our home. James chapter 4 and verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a pretty serious statement, isn't it? Next verse. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. By the way, look how he closes that. The world is passing away along with its desires. In other words, why be so tied to the world? It's going to be gone. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Isn't that some clarity? How we ought to live our lives? Chase after the world system, live for the world system, it's going to be gone one day. Chase after God, live for Him that lasts forever. Hot topics. It'll be a week after next before we deal with our first hot topic. We did not produce, by the way, a handout. I put all of it online. It's on Facebook and things. So if you need to share it with your friends and say, hey, here's what we're going to be talking about at day three. It's an easy way for you to share. Probably more effective in this day and time than handing them a little slip of paper and saying, hey, why don't you come to church because you can share that, go on and share it with people all over to see what our topics are going to be about. Those last verses sound like to me we ought to be very concerned about how we allow the culture of this world to drive our lives. The focus of driving force or craving in our lives shouldn't be. I want to look like that. I want to look like that movie star. I want to look like that celebrity. I want to live my life like theirs. That shouldn't be the driving force for us as believers. And instead for us as Christians, the driving force or craving in our life should be this. Not I want to look a certain way, but I want to be a certain way. I want to be beautiful in my spirit of humility and kindness and love and gentleness and meekness and self-control. In other words, I want to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we allow the world to push in on us and change the way we think and change the way we view the world and change the way we view people, change the way we act, change the way we view eternity, change the way we view your word, even change the way we view you. Father, I understand right now, I think, that there's a definite attack of the enemy taking place in our world in a strong way in America right now where there's so many concepts to me that just seem crazy and unsustainable and against your will and we're being assaulted by those things on a daily basis our youth are being assaulted our our children are being assaulted us as adults are being assaulted and father i'm afraid many of us do not have the biblical foundation and we've started to accept and, and adapt to things that our culture says it's fine. Father, help us believers not to be conformed by the world, but to be transformed by you. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, 
I pray, Father, that you'd speak to them and draw them to yourself right now. Give them the faith they need to believe in Jesus. You inspire Paul as we talked in this message to write about how we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. But you also have Paul to write about how we can be justified through faith in Christ. How it's based upon your grace, your unmerited favor. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs Christ as their Savior, I pray that you engage them right now in a way that they feel you definitely drawing them to you. But Father, for those of us that are Christians, God, help us not to have blinders on or tunnel vision when it comes to world culture. Help us, God, that we refuse to be conformed by the world that we live in. Instead, Father, help us to be transformed by your spirit, by your word, by your will. And Father, use us and and help us to transform others for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning during this time of invitation, maybe you are someone that's never trusted Christ as Savior. Why not make that step today? That first step toward Him. That first step toward His will. That first step toward His purpose for your life. By admitting that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and trusting in Christ as Savior. And then for us as believers, maybe, just maybe today, you would have to admit you've changed your thinking a little bit over the years. You've allowed Hollywood and popular opinion and the media to get into your mind and into your heart and you're viewing some things being all right that you used to know wasn't all right and it wasn't God's will. We're going to meet those things head on in, the, in, in other parts of this series. Next week, I want us to focus more about how we ought to respond in the right way before we actually jump into those topics. But if you recognize today you've allowed the culture to conform you more than you're allowing God to transform you, why not bow where you are or come kneel at the front and pray and say, God, God, help me to be transformed, not conformed. And also we invite you today to do this. As we said between now and in the fall when we send off Operation Christmas Child, part of our invitation between now and then will be during the invitation of any of our worship services to bring items that you have bought for Operation Christmas Child and bring them to the altar and lay them up here at the front. Pray over them. As God speaks to you, we invite you to come this morning. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.